In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com to get 5% off your first purchase with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for 5% off your first purchase. Hello and welcome to Pop Crime, where we discuss everything from the gossip to the gavel, the latest scandals, trending legal dramas, as well as the infamous crimes and dirty deeds of the pop culture past. I'm Kiki Monique. If you follow me online, you probably know me as the talk of shame, your go-to source for the biggest pop culture stories and famous trials. I love to consume all the news, books, TV, movies, and other media and break down the stories so you don't have to. Every week, I'll unpack a new story in the pop culture true crime world, either something that's happening in real time or a reach back into the past. And I'll even have some of your favorite creators, attorneys, journalists, other pop culture accounts, and more on the show to weigh in. Today, I'm joined by journalist and podcaster Hannah Smith to discuss a very interesting and not very well-known story of Peggy Fulford. Welcome, Hannah. Hi, Kiki. Thank you so much for having me. No, thank you for joining. I mean, uh, I didn't even know who Peggy Fulford was before I listened to your, you know, it was like a five-part podcast series. And what's uh, wild is like, I was one of the biggest Dennis Rodman fans, you know, like just the other day I called my mom because every once in a while she'll send me like pictures. Like she'll be going through the attic or the basement and be like, oh, I found like, you know, your Barbie collection or whatever and show me that, you know, she still, you know, because this is my inheritance. Right. And I asked her, like, I remember when Dennis Rodman, there was a doll that came out of him in a wedding dress and I got it. And I remember, I remember I'm not even a big collector, but I left it in the box because like, oh, it's going to be worth something one day. And so I've been a huge Dennis Rodman fan forever. And I hadn't even heard this story. Hannah did a five-part series on her podcast, The Opportunist. And, um, you know, the person that we all know, Dennis Rodman, he's one of the most notable players in the NBA. Not only is he one of the best rebounding forwards in basketball history, he made a splash in the 90s and early aughts with his eccentric style and larger than life persona, especially in 2012, when he was the talk of the tabloids, when his business manager went on national television and told people that Rodman was broke, sick and struggling with alcohol. But that was not the whole story. Hannah is here to help us understand what was going on behind the scenes and how Rodman became a victim of a very complicated years-long manipulation scheme. Now, obviously, after I listened to your podcast, I ended up in my own rabbit hole. And there have been some very interesting updates on Peggy and the whole story. So we'll obviously get into that uh, a little bit later. But I first, you know, want to talk about like how the story unfolded. You talk about how you got an email tip in July of 2021. So what was that all about? Yeah. I'm also, by the way, very excited to hear your updates later. Yeah, I got an email tip and I get a I, I get a lot of email tips, but this one stood out to me because it involved Dennis Rodman. And so that was notable. Um and Basically, the the gist of the email tip was like, you know, the allegations that 
he wasn't paying child support are not what they seem and that there was so much more going on and wanting me to look into the story. And so I just, I started doing a little bit of research on it and immediately was so intrigued because of Dennis Rodman. But then as I got more into it, also because of Peggy herself, who is an interesting person to me. Yeah. So I just like was like, okay, well, I'm going to try to look into it. And was the tip from someone like who was close to Dennis Rodman? Like did someone who maybe was trying to clear his name because they were they were close with him? It, it was, this was the hardest season and story I've ever produced because getting access was so tricky, especially with Dennis Rodman's team, um, which makes sense. You know, he's a, a superstar. Um, so people are very private. But um, so I agree. I actually can't say who gave the email tip, but it was someone who who knows him. Yeah. That sent me the tip. And and that's really the only reason I was able to do the story is because I was able to meet a few people who are close with him and they were able to help me get access to other people. But it was still uh, it took a lot of time and building trust and everything. Well, I imagine so, because obviously, you know, we're going to talk about what happened to him. But, you know, it seemed like he was very trusting early on. I can't imagine he is a very trusting person now. So to be able to even have people around him that are willing to talk to you about the story, I have to imagine that's scary for them because they don't want to look like they're betraying him because obviously he's dealt with this huge betrayal in his life. Yeah, totally. And I think it was so painful um, for him that that's a hard thing to revisit. And, you know, I found that a lot of people who are victims of scams, there's like this embarrassment that comes with it. Like, oh, I should have seen that. I should have known. And so there's actually many more victims of Peggy's, like famous athletes that have never spoken publicly because they're embarrassed. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I mean, because Dennis Rodman was like, obviously one of the biggest names, but there were other big names included, you know, when it all came out. But like, let's talk about Peggy herself. I mean, this woman somehow was able to infiltrate some of the most exclusive circles. You know, I don't even know. It's, it's not Hollywood sports. It's just like celebrity, like in celebrity. You know, what, you know, what is it about her? Like, what was about her upbringing? How did she get to be where she ended up? Yeah, she had a pretty um, like humble upbringing. She grew up in New Orleans, and her family was middle class. A lot of people told me her mom loved to shop. So from a young age, she was very into shopping and having nice clothes. But it wasn't like her parents were wealthy necessarily. But Peggy has been described to me as the most beautiful woman in the room. So no matter, you know, there might be a lot of beautiful women in the room. Peggy was the most beautiful. And she is also very charismatic and friendly. And so I think that she got a lot of attention early on from men. I spoke with a close friend of hers who said, you know, she also was someone who wanted to gain status in her life. And she so she ended up married to multiple men who were really, you know, wealthy and successful. I mean, she ended up married five times, I believe. And I don't even know how many children she ended up having. 
like multiple children. And one of the marriages is what essentially led her into this lifestyle. She'd gotten married. I think her first husband died in a plane crash. She got married to her second husband who ended up being abusive. So I think that was very quick. But then she ends up marrying Dr. Forrest King, which I think she was married for like 17 years. It was a very long marriage. And they start this King management group. Yeah, he was a very successful uh, surgeon, and he had a medical management company that was successful. They lived in, um, I believe it was Indiana for a while, and that's actually where they first met Travis Best and became friends with him. Just, you know, he was playing for the Pacers. And being married to Dr. Forrest King is when Peggy first started to kind of rub shoulders with wealthy athletes and became a socialite. And then Dr. Forrest King sold his company when he was like 40 years old and they were able to retire. They moved to Atlanta. And because they had become friends with all these athletes and they were witnessing athletes, you know, maybe making poor financial decisions, Dr. Forrest King said, well, why don't I help um, some athletes manage their money? So together they started King Management. Um, And, you know, from everything that I was able to find at that point, it was legitimate. Um, they were helping athletes, uh, establish contracts and then putting them on budgets and, um, making investments with their money. Um, and so at that point in time, it was all above board. And then they ended up, I guess, getting a divorce and because I guess Peggy, because she was so charismatic, so beautiful, Uh, people seem to, I guess, trust her, maybe, at least in her mind, she believed they trusted her more. And that was why she was sort of able to take the clientele. And once she split off and went, you know, and did her own thing, that's when it seemed like it may have taken a turn and maybe not been so above board. At that point, though, she hadn't met Dennis, but she was very, it seemed like based on, you know, the interviews you did, she was very calculated about how she got into Dennis's circle because even Dennis's best friend, I think it was, who said, I didn't even stand next to him at clubs because I knew that opportunist would see the friend, you know, and use me to get to them. But she was even able to schmooze the best friend. Yeah. I mean, what's clear is that she was very good at what she did. Yeah. Um, and it was a long con. So you know, yeah, after she took over King Management Group and then she met Ricky Williams, NFL player Ricky Williams in New Orleans, and then they became really close friends. And, you know, she didn't even become his financial manager for like five years. Like they just, she was just very close with him, got into his close uh, circle of friends, befriended his wife. Um, They became like best friends. And then when Ricky moved to Miami to play with the Dolphins, Peggy moved as well to Florida. The Ricky Williams interior design story was one of the most interesting because, you know, I guess it was Ricky was like redoing his house. He had an interior designer that he was working with. That interior designer was friends with Peggy and Peggy just started like all of a sudden showing up at the house and sort of decorating. And then eventually was taking Ricky to the stores and shopping for him. And she wasn't even an interior designer. And the next thing she know, her friend has lost her interior design client. I mean, that's wild. Yeah, that was such a wild story. And that I feel like that says a lot about about Peggy. Um, Pam was so sweet. I loved talking with her. And, 
you know, she was very conflicted because she was like, Peggy was my friend. And like, you could, I could tell she really cared about her, but also felt very betrayed <laughs> by um, multiple things that happened, including stealing her design client, you know? I mean, I can't even imagine. I mean, I can't believe she stayed friends with her after that. I mean, that to me is like a friendship deal breaker. But again, when you have someone in your life, I mean, th- that's what's wild about scam artists is like they're able to gaslight and convince you that like, even though I did this horrible thing, you still need me in your life. Yeah. Like just, I don't know. There's something about a familiarity that I think is so powerful. It's like the devil, you know, you know, that saying it's like, even later on in the story, when things start coming out about Peggy, the people that she was closest with trusted her so much. It's like, they still didn't want to let her go because I think there's something powerful about you know someone, you've established trust, and so you're more willing to forgive them, you know, for a while at least. I love reading fiction, especially gripping crime thrillers or mysteries that are impossible to put down. That means I'm finishing books fast and constantly looking for another read. When I'm trying to decide what to pick next, I know Book of the Month has my back. Each month, the Book of the Month provides me with amazing books to choose from. The list of books are all curated by their editorial team, so you know they'll be good. First, I go onto their app to pick a new book from their curated list of five to seven suggestions. I am really excited about the books I chose this month. My first book this month is The Return of Ellie Black by Amiko Jean. A page-turning mystery thriller follows Detective Chelsea Calhoun investigating a missing girl who reappears after two years, but she is left with more questions than answers. I also received Middle Tide by Sarah Crouch. In this debut novel, the suspicious death of a young doctor rocks a small town. Failed writer Elijah Lee finds himself fighting for his innocence when the circumstances of the doctor's death were ripped straight from the pages of his own novel. Book of the Month makes it easy to branch out into new genres and discover books you've never read. And shipping is always free. You can get your first Book of the Month for just $5 with the code PEDALS by visiting bookofthemonth.com. That's your first book of the month for just $5 with code PEDALS by visiting bookofthemonth.com. Have you ever felt that fast fashion ick but can't always afford the super high-end stuff? I have a solution for you. Newly. Newly has everything you need to bring your closet up to speed for the season without breaking the bank. For just $98 a month, you get your choice of any six styles each month. You can choose whatever you want to rent for whatever you have going on. It's totally up to you. There are no fees, late fees, damage fees, or fees to pause or cancel. So no big deal if you lose a button or spill something or just need to take a break. They have inclusive sizing up to 5X, as well as petite and maternity. Get fast, free shipping and returns and professional cleaning in Newly's state-of-the-art laundering facility. And you always have the option to buy what you love for sometimes up to 75% off. Newly is a great value at $98 a month for any six styles. But right now you can get $20 off your first month of Newly when you sign up with the code POPCRIME20. Just go to N-U-U-L-Y.com. That's Newly with two U's and enter the code POPCRIME20 and sign up to get $20 off your first month. That's N-U-U-L-Y dot com. Newly with two U's with code POPCRIME20. Newly subscription clothing rental. Change your clothes. 
So it seems like, I mean, between Travis Bess and Ricky Williams, I mean, that was sort of her entryway because it becomes compounded, right? Like once someone sees you connected with someone like that, why wouldn't they try? You're, you know, you're driving these cars, you're in these houses, you have these clients. Why wouldn't I hand all of my money over to you? And so that's how she was able to continue to get these high profile clients. Yeah. And she, you know, she looked very wealthy. That's something that people said to me a lot. Like she dressed in Gucci and she drove really nice cars. And by this point, she had divorced uh, Dr. Forrest King, but she had married someone new, Stanley Williams, who was an anesthesiologist, also very successful and wealthy. And and then, yeah, she would show up to parties in um, Miami and like arm in arm with Ricky Williams. And so no one's going to question her. Ricky Williams shows up. Of course, he's let in and there's Peggy. And she looks like someone important. And it's through those connections that she eventually got introduced to Dennis Rodman because they were in these, you know, very VIP clubs and whatnot. And did she do the same thing with Dennis that she had done with Ricky, where it was like she just became his friend at first and then was just like, eventually like, I just want to sort of help you. I think that one was faster. It wasn't such a long con. Like it was within a matter of months that she started helping him and kind of getting into his finances. So it was a much like faster situation. But yeah, I mean, they they became very close and like Dennis Rodman would spend holidays at her house. You know, they considered each other family or at least he considered her family, you know. Well, that was the really interesting part, too, because she takes on this matronly role. Like, everyone referred to her basically as mama, mother, right? Like, she becomes very motherly, which is interesting because when you, you know, think about Dennis Rodman's past, you know, he talks about, you know, when he was a kid, he was very attached to his mother. But I think that they had sort of like, you know, a weird relationship. And I would say he probably has mommy issues. He'd probably admit that he had mommy issues, Right. Compounded with the fact that, you know, Peggy was now running this management firm with someone she was calling her brother, which is also a really interesting thing, how that unravels. Um, And this brother sort of played another role because at this time, you know, I don't know if we're aware that Dennis Rodman has, you know, alcohol issues, but the brother, you know, he makes it clear that he did have alcohol issues And he sort of used, it seemed like he used Dennis Rodman as a mask to sort of hide behind that. Yeah, it was the the alcohol aspect is so interesting because Peggy played this mother role, as you said, and she would actually get on to Dennis Rodman about his drinking and like chide him for that, like a mother would, you know, like you need to stop drinking because, you, you know, you'll be so much more successful and you need to get it together. But then at the same time, Elkin who was who was assigned as his sort of day-to-day manager so he would drive him around you know anything that Dennis needed and they spent all day every day basically together you know from everything i've heard it's like they were elkin was not trying to curb his drinking they were they were basically like partying together a lot yeah i mean they were always together yeah like you said like day to day like if you know dennis need to go here he was traveling the world with him you know i'm sure elkin was living the best you know his best life ever but then what was crazy was because the the people that dennis had in his life before you know his other managers his other lawyers they weren't as trusting of peggy 
And one of them even, you know, started asking her questions about like, okay, you say you're not taking a fee, which should have been anyone's red flag. You know, Peggy says, I don't take a fee from my clients. I just want to help them build generational wealth, red flag. And they start asking her questions. Well, how do you, you know, make money at all? And she's like, well, I just put the money into investments and I make commissions off of this investment, but she's not really able to explain any of it. And they have questions, but like, it seems like Dennis is ignoring that. She got him to sign over power of attorney, which is again, a huge red flag. You should never do this. Okay. Note to self, <laughs> if you get a manager and they ask for a power of attorney, don't do it. Yes. And she was also not supplying him or Ricky or any of her clients with like monthly statements about where their money was or anything. So it was very much just like a trust-based system. I spoke with AJ Bright, who was another one of Dennis Rodman's managers, but more of like a business manager. So AJ was in charge of, you know, booking gigs and all this stuff. And so anytime AJ had money coming in, he gave it directly to Peggy because she was the financial manager. So all of his money was going directly to her. And her whole thing was, look, I want to help boost you up, like you said, create generational wealth. And what I'm going to do with that is I'm going to put you on a reasonable monthly budget. All your money will come to me. I'll give you back a monthly allowance. And everything else, I'm going to help set you up for you and your kids and your grandkids for like, yeah, generational wealth. Like I want you to be successful forever, long after you're able to make the basketball money. But because all the money was going directly to her and he just got you know, some money every month and was never getting statements, there was just no tracking where any of the money was going. She wasn't telling anyone. So then things started happening like his his like power would go off in his apartment or his cable bill wouldn't be paid. And then he's freaking out, calling AJ and other people and there and it's like why why is his cable not getting paid? He's Dennis Rodman, you know, and he's working. He was He's such a like an interesting and fascinating person, and I learned a lot about him. And I read his book, Bad as I Want to Be, I think it's called, when I was researching this. And I just have such a respect for him. He was just such a brilliant basketball player, but also the way that he turned his career into like he became like a superstar, and he was able to continue to make money long after he stopped playing basketball, which is pretty rare. And He's just such an interesting, dynamic person, but um, also had a lot of struggles, as we talked about. And, you know, people also said he, you know, the only person that could really make Peggy be responsible and ask for those financial statements and, like, lay down the law was Dennis Rodman because he had given her control and he just didn't want to deal with it, it seems like. He you know, loved her. He trusted her a hundred percent and he didn't want to think that she was doing anything nefarious. Can you imagine like being at Dennis Rodman's house, watching the basketball game and then the cable just goes out? It like, wouldn't make any sense. You would have to be like, there's gotta be a mistake. Like this can't be a bill thing. And yeah, like how that would make him feel shameful of, you know, like I can't even, you know, I don't even know what's going on. And it gets to a point where, you know, he's like, working. I mean, he was working, like you said, I wasn't even a huge sports person, but that's how much he proliferated pop culture is like, I was a Dennis Rodman fan because he, he went beyond that. Right. And so he, you know, he's making movies, maybe they were flops, but who cares? He's making movies. He's, you know, he's doing, you know, he's dating Madonna. He's doing 
all of these things. And he's living on this budget thinking like, okay, this is like the way to like get out of it. Cause look, this man was homeless at one point, right? He just wants to like never be in that position. He doesn't want his kids to ever be in that position. So if this is what I got to do, but then his cable's getting turned off and he's like, well, I'm working my ass off. And then I'm still like, don't understand. And, you know, apparently Peggy's turning it around on him. Like you got to control your spending habits and, and people are believing it. Cause yeah, Again, he's this baller. He'll show up to the club, like you said, with $50,000 in cash in his hand. And so if somebody says, you're spending too much, it's easy to believe. But the reality is, it's like, no, he's do he's living how a multimillionaire is allowed to live. It's just the problem is when everyone's stealing from behind and he doesn't realize it, I mean, that's terrible. And it even gets so bad to the point where, you know, he has ch- child support. You know, he was married before. He has child support. And now it's starting to affect his actual income because he can't travel because his passport is getting revoked, right? Oh, yeah. That's such a heartbreaking part of the story um, for both him and also his kids. Like, we, I have every reason to think that he believed and fully thought that the child support was getting paid, which is not what the story about him ended up being, you know, but he really believed it was getting paid and he was told that it was getting paid by Peggy. And yet there would just be continual issues. Like suddenly the court is calling and they're like, you have this much money in unpaid child support. And when that happens, your passport will be revoked because you can't leave the country if you have too much unpaid child support. But then he would book a gig in another country, which he needed to do to make money to pay child support. And his attorney would describe to me just like, it was just like over and over having to negotiate with the child support office and be like, please, you know, allow him to have his passport back so he can go to Russia and make money. And then they would make an agreement like, okay, well, he'll he'll be on a payment plan and he'll pay four grand a month. And that was all sent to Peggy. She's like, okay, okay. And then, you know, six months later, again, they're like, well, you haven't been paying the four grand a month. And his passports were revoked again. And I asked his attorney, I, because, you know, a lot of this was like figuring out the details and trying to really understand if there was if Peggy was stealing from him or if she was just like incompetent. She just she wasn't an accountant, you know. Um, yeah. And his attorney told me like, no, there there's no question. <laughs> like the only person that that we had an issue with ever was Peggy. Peggy was the person responsible for pain, and she was always the one that was causing a problem here. And that's what's so wild because you actually think if she had just done the bare minimum, she could have probably gotten away with this for very, very long. Like you're defaulting on a payment plan. The fact that you even had a payment plan, like how how hard could it be to just keep up with that, to keep up appearances? Yeah. Like if you're making millions of dollars, paying four grand a month in child support should not be a difficult thing. And it and and it and he could afford it with the money he was making. So yeah, she just yeah. That's one thing that doesn't make sense about her plan and her con is that you're right. If she had kept up with some of those payments, it would have been much harder for people to catch on to what she was doing. And like you said, you know, she wasn't a CPA. You're not required to be, but it's like recommended, you know, you're to be a business manager, you're a CPA. But apparently she did also convince people that she had gone to Harvard Law School and she apparently had this plaque on her office and but even though I guess there had been an article about how she did she grad she did graduate from Spelman. These are the things that's wild about Peggy. She had a she did have a pedigree. She went to yeah. a very good school. She graduated, but it wasn't enough, right? Which 
is interesting because, you know, when you interviewed her, you did eventually, well, we'll get to that. When you interviewed her later, it comes out, well, sh- she was diagnosed with mania, apparently. And, you know, is this part of the mania? You know, I'm not a doctor, so I can't diagnose these things. But it's like, is it because it's never enough? So you're always, you know, trying to say more and do more? Or is it is it just because the people are around and you want to impress them? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is interesting. And I mean, her medical records are not public information. So I, I I don't know. But there were multiple people that told me that she did have mania, including her ex-husband, Dr. Forrest King, who was a doctor and who I think was one of the first people to really recognize that that she was having some mental health issues. And I don't know if that contributed to their divorce. But it's interesting to look at the things that happened in her life because it seems like there is a kind of a connection with she went through a lot of like really difficult things. And like in the year 2000, her mother died because her mother's house caught on fire. And this from multiple sources, people told me this was such a devastating event for her. And she actually had a mental break and went in and went into an institution for a while. And then her marriage with Dr. Forrest King fell apart. And this is, I think the kind of beginning of her starting this con with King Management Group. So it's sort of interesting to think how there, I think that there's some similarities. Like she would go through something really horrible and I do think it affected her mental health and maybe that influenced, um, you know, her starting to steal. I mean, you've obviously researched a lot of like scam artists. Like, do you find there's like a common link between them all having sort of like, I guess what's referred to as like a canon event where they like have this turning point? Yeah, I usually I I try to look for something like to try to understand. And oftentimes I will find something like that. Not always. um, But I think that what's common amongst um, people that I've covered that are scam artists is they have a very different and inflated viewpoint of themselves than other people around them. It's like this invincibility thing that I think Peggy definitely has and had as she was doing this to where I really think maybe she convinced herself that she was this great financial manager. And it's like, she clearly was not. She was (laughs) just stealing money, but... I think she just, she had a very different viewpoint of herself. It's like the opposite of imposter syndrome, right? Like we're all so worried about like, can I really do this job? And she's like, not only can I do this job, I can do your job and this job. (laughs) Right. I can be an interior designer. I can be a CPA. Like, (laughs) Totally. Now, it seemed to sort of like all kind of implode. It started, I guess, with Ricky Williams. I mean, Ricky Williams gets starts getting these tax bills. And he had apparently wired, you know, a million dollars to Peggy to pay these tax bills. But they're saying, no, you still owe this amount. And then it eventually gets to a point where I guess Ricky sues Peggy. And, you know, Dennis and his team sees this. Yeah, that makes headlines. and. So it's unavoidable. And that must have been such an awkward time because Elkin was like traveling with him. And at the same time, they're seeing televisions that's like Peggy steals money from Dennis Rodman. And so that sort of 
it still doesn't end right away. But I think there there were a few like different red flags that had happened for Dennis Rodman. And by that point, like pretty much everyone on his team, like his ex-girlfriend, his ex-wife, all of his lawyers and managers are all basically like something's wrong. Like Peggy is stealing from you. So it was sort of building up to that. Well, what are the red flags that they had started seeing up to that point? I mean, a lot of the same thing with, you know, bills not being paid. And, you know, at first he was being given a certain amount per month. But then multiple people would tell me, like, he would he would have zero money. Like, he would go out to eat and his card would be declined. And Gigi, his ex-girlfriend and good friend of his, told me she would sometimes buy him groceries because he didn't have any money. I mean, that's so wild. Um, And then obviously the child support stuff just got bigger and bigger and bigger. And then, oh, that's what happened. So they had to go to court because of the child support stuff. And his lawyer had finally gotten his American Express like charges. And she brought that to court because she wanted to show the judge, look, he's not like wildly spending. And she's still not thinking that anything nefarious is going on, but she asked Dennis Rodman while he's like sitting there in court to read through some of these charges and asking him like trying to show he's being very reasonable. And there was like a $2,000 Victoria's Secret charge. And he was like, what? What's going on there? I've never been there. I'm not buying that. Who's what's going on there? And so that weirdly, the Victoria's Secret charge is one of the things that tipped his team off because they thought, well, who's spending that? Peggy's the one that has this account. So is she just like spending his money? Wow. I mean, is a thong worth it? A thong brought you down, <laughs> Peggy. <laughs> $2,000 worth of thongs. <laughs> just had to have those thongs. <laughs> that is wild. I mean, you know, you talk about like, yeah, there was, you know, Amex cards that were being, you know, used, you know, for his spending. At this point, Elkin, uh, I think this is when it comes out that Elkin, they had been touting themselves as this sister-brother dynamic duo management team this entire time. And that's how everyone knew them. And then one day Elkin slips up and he's like, oh, my mom's going to bring me. And they're like, what? And then it comes out that Elkin isn't Peggy's brother, but is his oldest son from her first marriage, you know, the marriage of her husband who died in a plane crash. Yeah, who was actually named Elkin Simpson. So Elkin Jr. uh, was named after him. Yeah, I mean, it's one of the most bizarre aspects of this very bizarre story, but it's true. She told everyone that her son was her brother. And got him, Elkin, to agree to go along with this. Um, Not only that, but she had told her fourth husband, Stanley Williams, that two of her adult children were her nephews. And he later found out they were her children. So it was a, you know, it was a common thing for her. She liked to be portrayed as a woman who didn't have any children. She wanted to, I think she thought that would make her more appealing and attractive to men, which was like part of how she perceived she had power, you know, and she also wanted to, she was telling people she was younger than she was. And she had Elkin when she was like 19. So she couldn't say she was, 
you know, 10 years younger. Otherwise, and this is her son, because they'd be like, you had him when you were nine. When I talked to people who were close to her and Elkin, this was almost like one of the biggest betrayals to them. Like, people were so hurt that they had lied about this. And then I honestly don't think that that lie was that connected to the con. I think that it's just one of the things about Peggy is that she really wanted to be childless and young and beautiful forever. And, but it really like, it like set off the domino, like tower falling because people thought, wow, if she could lie to me about something like this, what else is she lying about? I mean, it's so true because to me, it's the most, one of the most benign lies because I get it. Like you're in Hollywood. You always are like, oh, you might want to shave off 10 years. I get it. Right. But I guess there is something a bit nefarious about kind of going through life with your son and this entire time, nobody knows it's your son, especially, you know, again, I think for someone like Dennis, where I think family, it's important, but it's also like this really weird thing in his life because he's had these sort of families that were not his actual biological families, but people who raise him. So I think he has an interesting relation with family. So I, I can see how that would become a really big betrayal in his life. And so at this point, I mean, this is where he's like, I'm going to fire you, right? And I think even TMZ gets a hold of this letter or they, you know, send it to the, you know, to TMZ so that the all everyone in Hollywood knows that Peggy has been fired by Dennis Rodman. Yeah, he finally fired her. Um, oh, and really the reason I think that he finally came to the decision was because all of this stuff that happened with Ricky Williams and his lawsuit caught the attention of an FBI agent. And that FBI agent started to investigate Peggy. And through that investigation, he met with Dennis Rodman and some of his like close team. And he was able to just point blank show him like, look, she's been putting all this money from your account into her account directly. And basically, he had identified like 85 different bank accounts and a ton of different LLCs with Dennis versions of Dennis Rodman's name, like Starman LLC. And Dennis Rodman wasn't listed on any of them. And he didn't like have access to any of these accounts or LLCs. And so I think finally, when, you know, Dennis Rodman was presented with that, it's like, well, you know, the evidence was there. And so he walked away. Yeah. I mean, you called it the FBI. You said the FBI called it one of the most complicated cases of fraud they had ever seen. I mean, 85 bank accounts and, you know, both Dennis and Ricky at times were going directly to the bank and saying, give me access at the bank. And even though their names were on these accounts, they were like, no, you're not allowed to have access, which is really, really wild. I mean, the power of attorney that like this is where the power of attorney, like she was somehow able to like say they're not allowed to have access to their own accounts. Who knows what she told them the reason why or if she even needed to, right? That has to be a scary feeling. And you're, you know, like you said, Dennis would have zero dollars in his pockets and no access. And this man has probably made, I mean, I don't even know how many millions of dollars he's made over the last, you know, few decades of his career. Yeah. And I mean, you know, it's horrible she what she did to all the athletes, but especially like, you know, Dennis Rodman will have er more earning power than some of these athletes because he is a mega star, right? So he can still book speaking engagements and all these things. But, you know, like Travis Best had worked so hard his whole career and been so frugal and thought that he had all this money and all these savings. 
And, and she basically stole almost all of his money from him. Ricky Williams, like a similar thing. Like Ricky believed that he had this account at Charles Schwab. that was like all of this investments and saving. And finally, his wife at the time called Charles Schwab to try to get the details of that account. And it didn't even exist. Like she wasn't investing money. She was just stealing it. Like it's, it's really, really sad for, for these athletes who worked so hard, you know? Nightmare. And now Ricky Williams, he's changed his name, right? He's gotten remarried and has changed his name. I think he's taken the name of his new wife. Like, I wonder if that has anything to do with just the fact of like, he wants to kind of forget this old life in a way. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe I yeah, I forgot that that he did change his name. Um, Yeah, I mean, from what he didn't agree to talk to me and neither did Dennis Rodman. I spoke with Ricky's one of his best friends. And basically, she just said this was so incredibly heartbreaking to him financially, but also emotionally, because he also believed that Peggy and and was like his best friend. So, you know, I think it's just like very traumatic and difficult. Probably wants to move on from it. Basically, we find out on December 13, 2016, I guess Peggy was finally charged with an eight-count indictment, including money laundering, wire fraud, mail fraud, and interstate transportation of stolen property. Three days later, Peggy was arrested. And on February 1st, 2018, Peggy took a plea deal and pleaded guilty to one count of stolen property. She ended up getting a 10-year prison sentence with three years supervised probation after release. She was ordered to pay restitution to her victims, including over $3 million to Ricky Williams, $1.39 million to Travis Best, $1.24 million to Dennis Rodman, and $132,123 to Rex Hilliard. And you talked to her in prison. You had multiple interviews with her. And she the way she talked about it, she acted like, well, if they hadn't put me in prison, I would have been able to pay them back so much quicker. I mean, she's really convinced that she would still be able to earn. Yeah. (laughs) Which I don't know how she's going to do that, honestly. But it was wild to be able to talk to her a lot. I mean, every time I do a story, I, I, um, if the person that is the opportunist is alive, I try to contact them and request an interview. Most of the time they say no. And, I was surprised that Peggy said yes. I was happy to talk to her. Honestly, she was super nice. Like, I was like, oh, like, I get it. Like, she's super charming. She was really kind and nice. And I could see how if I hadn't just done a ton of research and I had, like, the facts in front of me that I could maybe have been convinced because she's so convincing and she just makes it sound so, yeah, you know, I I really do want to pay them back and I will, but... Then she added on, but, you know, I'm not going to pay back the amount that the government says I should pay back because that's not the that's they inflated it. And that's not really, you know, and I was like, oh, okay." (laughs) So, yeah, she was still denying things even in the interview. I mean, the amounts I think she said, like, I think she was even denying like the wire transfer of a million dollars for the taxes. Like, it's interesting what she's kind of willing to like accept accountability for and not. You know, obviously, I I go into my own deep dive after listening to your five-part series, which is amazing, by the way. Again, this is The Opportunist. And find out, and I don't know why it was only recently, because it was like an article from November 14th, 2023 in The Guardian. And it was announced that Peggy had been released on April 27th of that year. 
And I I feel like it went really under the radar because not a lot of sources picked it up. It said that Peggy Ann Fulford, 65, served part of the punishment at a low-security federal prison in Aliceville, Alabama, which is about 45 miles west of Tuscaloosa. The U.S. Bureau of Prisons then released her on the 27th of April to a halfway home in Orlando, Florida, which is administered by the government. So she served, so she, you know, she goes into prison. I think she went in in 20, so 2018 is when she got the prison sentence. She had asked for compassionate release sometime, I think in 2020 or 2021 because of COVID. And then I think her father was in bad condition. They denied it, but I guess they somehow released her to this halfway home in 2023. Wow. That's wild. Uh, And it's, I guess she's going to be in this house half halfway house until 2026 but i imagine that means yeah. she's able to come and go and she's out and about and i mean in your interview with her you know you talked about how it was really difficult to interview someone who was behind bars and she said yes and i can't wait to get out and you know be able to tell my side of the story I mean, now that she's out do you think that you'll want to talk to her again yeah maybe i don't know if she'll talk to me or not <laughs> i got the feeling that she did not like the podcast. Um, you know, when I oh. interview people, I'm very honest about, hey, I'm an objective reporter, so I want to hear your perspective, but I'm also going to include everyone else's perspective. And I was able to speak with her, honestly, because I, I went and interviewed Elkin, um, and he was still talking with her, like, all the time. And so I don't, I'm you know, I was very honest with him about um, that I was doing all this research, but... I don't know if it plays into this sort of self-inflated perspective of herself and maybe Elkin has a little bit of that too, but I think that maybe they thought this was going to be like a pro Peggy story, which is never anything I said to them. So I don't think that they're probably keen to talk to me again is my yes, but yeah, I'd love to talk to her if she wants to talk to me. I mean, Elkin was able to get off, you know, he was never charged with anything. You know, he really, you know, says he didn't know anything about what his mother was doing this entire time. But of course, you know, I'm still, I I wanted to do a deep dive on him too. And, you know, his IG was private, but did you know he has a TikTok account that he hasn't posted on in about a year? I don't know. I I would say that maybe I remember part of your story was he talked about how he did have an alcohol issue himself and he, you know, hid himself from Dennis. And again, I'm just from observing these TikToks, it seems like maybe that still is a thing. And then what was also interesting is I saw that he had sued Dr. Forrest because apparently, so when Elkin's father died, In the plane crash, there was a settlement, I think like $200,000. At the time, Peggy was married to Dr. Forrest. And so the, it went into a trust that was overseen, I guess, by the two of them. Long story short, I guess Elkin was suing because he's saying he didn't get that money and it was his responsibility. He didn't even know about it until his maternal grandfather found out about it. But of course, knowing everything we know about Peggy, I mean, I'm not convinced that that trust was, you know, who knows, right, what happened to that money if Peggy had access to it, right? Yeah. And she did have access to it. Um, yeah, I, I read that lawsuit as well. And um, I asked him about it and he w- didn't really want to speak 
about it. But I also, you know, I spoke to Dr. Forrest King on the phone. He didn't want to do an interview, but he was really nice. And from everything I can tell, he, you know, he took in Elkin as his, as his own son. I mean, Elkin changed his last name, you know, to be King. And it's just, I, I don't really know what happened with that either. I have a feeling that Dr. Forrest King did not take that money is, would be my guess. But um, probably that's something that Peggy has told Elkin. Not sure. What was his, I'm so curious what was on his, his TikTok. Like what, what kind of content? So it was basically just like video after video of him, his face right in the camera talking. It was a lot of mumbling because again, it felt like there was slurred speech. I couldn't really tell where he was. Like it, may, it looked like maybe Florida. It looked like he looked like a place with a pool. So it looked like a nice setup. It was attached to someone who looked like his girlfriend, maybe his wife. I don't know if he's married or not, but some his partner who looked like they were together. They had a dog. It, it was a lot of nonsense. There was one uh, post that his girlfriend had put up that was interesting because I guess the documentary or I guess there was a series, maybe American Greed, that was done about this as well. And it was like a picture of Elkin from the series with Dennis Rodman and with that trending TikTok sound that was like, mm, that's my man. Mm, that's my man. And it was like kind of like she was proud of it. And I was like, you do know that your man was like caught up in this whole like scam of Dennis Rodman. Like, <laughs> wow. Old Delulu, in my opinion. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Might have to check that TikTok out. <laughs> okay, I'll send it to you. <laughs> this has like been a really intriguing story. And I can't believe there's been a whole like thing about Dennis Rodman that I didn't even know. Cause again, I think so many of us witnessed sort of like what would be called his downfall. And we just sort of chopped it up to like these headlines of like, oh, he was an alcoholic and oh, he didn't pay his child support and all of these things. But the reality is he was being taken advantage of by a con artist. And, you know. That has to be one of the hardest things, especially someone who literally came from nothing to earn every single thing. But it's so good to see. I mean, Dennis is really thriving. His kids are really thriving. His daughter is like a really good soccer player. You know, like it's good to see that like he's still thriving in other aspects to this day. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I mean, I can imagine that it must be such a difficult thing to adjust from having nothing and like you said, actually being homeless for a time to becoming like this pop star, like superstar, everyone in the whole world knows your name. So, you know, psychologically that's probably incredibly difficult to deal with. And, um, and it's really sad that he was taken advantage of. And I think that's also, like you said, one of the reasons um, I found this story so intriguing is that I was like, wow, the public narrative about this is actually really wrong. Like it's, it was so easy for people to think, oh, he's a deadbeat dad. He's, you know, all these things. And it's like, well, that's not really the full story. Um, and I'm glad that, um, she was caught and he fired her and he's gone on and is still successful. Hannah, thank you so much for joining Pop Crime. Can you tell people where they can check out your work and then where they can find you on social media? Yeah. So, um, currently I am no longer the opportunist, but I have a new project in the works that I have not announced yet, but people can follow me on Instagram at Hannah podcasts, and I will be announcing it there sometime in the coming months. Exciting. Congratulations. Thank you so much for joining pop crime. Thank you so much, Kiki. This was so fun. Thanks for having me. 
Pop Crime is produced by Sean Kilby, Shannon Sassone, and me, Kiki Monique. Editing by Shannon Sassone. Guest booking by Ali Freelander. And be sure to follow me at The Talk of Shame on TikTok and Instagram and send your emails to podcast at betches.com. Betches.